Um, today we're going to really take a, a detour from Acts and, and look at um, a passage of Scripture. It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie, and hopefully I do, uh, I do it justice, um, looking at uh, a, a parable of, of the woman at the well. But, um, um, uh, but So we're going to be taking a little bit of a detour from Acts this morning, and um, hopefully we can... Uh, we can glean some of God's truth um, today, but I don't know about any of you guys, but me and my wife, we we enjoy a good vacation. Um, Kimmy and I, we we really kind of keep it pretty simple. Um, we have two places we like to go. We either go to to Charlotte, or uh, excuse me, we either go to Charleston, South Carolina, or we go to Santa Rosa, Florida. Uh, Charleston, if you want something kind of like Southern aristocrat, uh, that's, that's the way we feel. That's the way we go. Santa Rosa's a little bit less commercialized. We like to go, to, we, we, we like to go down there, and it's kind of a um, little quaint community town. And we, we, we're not much active vacationers. We're, we don't really want to go somewhere like Walt Disney World. Not with my, my two hooligans, that sounds like, uh, golly, that sounds like we would need a vacation from our vacation, um, just because of the craziness that having kids would be. But we're, Kimmy and I, we're a bunch of beach bums when it comes to vacation. We like to, we like to get on the beach by probably at 10, 30, 11 in the morning, stay all day, go home, take a nap, and then go and eat really good food at night, and then just kind of rinse and repeat. We don't, we don't change much. We know what we're getting. Um, and this past year was... The same, and wasn't it? Wasn't anything different? We we were kind of creatures of routine, and and uh, we we gathered up all of our all of our kids, our, our two kids, got them in the car, got all our, our stuff ready to go. The trip down to Santa Rosa was not a bad uh, trip. We took my mom with us. We call her the Granny Nanny on the trip because she's part Granny, part Nanny. Um, on the trip just so that I don't have to watch my two crazies and we get down there and the first day on the beach you know we, we get all of our we get all you know I, I get my get my chair set up get my umbrella set up and and man the the ocean is beautiful we got a little tide pool over here that's less than two feet deep for our kids to play in they won't drown my, and, and my wife's there my, and uh, the girls are there and I've got man I'm set up and I sit down in my seat and what do I do I whip out my phone, I get on Facebook, and I'm scrolling, and I notice that a couple of my college buddies went down to Daytona for the weekend. And oh, what did they what are they doing? Oh, they're they're deep sea fishing. Well, that looks fun. Oh, it looked like they're having a good time. I wish I was there. Realize, not realizing as a as a pulled up my head where I was at. I was in our spot. Emerald Coast, tide pool over here, my mom watching my kids, my wife looking great in her swimwear, and I am got a cold adult beverage in my hand. And I'm sitting here thinking, I want to be somewhere else. That that instance and several other instances led to me uh, getting rid of Facebook altogether, and I'm totally off social media. I've detoxed. I, I've went to rehab, and I'm I'm out, and and uh, I'm not 
saying Facebook was the bad, you know, was bad or, or Instagram or anything like that. I, I don't, I think the temptation for me and the, um, the, I, I don't know, the draw to, to going on there and comparing my life to others really crushed me. Um, comparison is the thief of satisfaction. It's the thief of contentment, and I really felt that. I, I, I still feel it today. Even when my wife shows me stuff on Facebook, I, I begin to feel this anxiety like, man, I'm not enough. I ain't got enough. I need more. Henry David Thoreau, a transcendentalist philosopher, uh, if, you, if you keep up with philosophy, he was, he's kind of a weird, odd guy. He's he, Grew up rich. His family uh, apparently invented the pen, graphite pencil um, and grew up rich, but he decided to be poor and live uh, along a lake and write a bunch of his philosophical writings. And I think he wrote something that I've read several times that honestly, it, it hits the core and fabric of who we are. Now, I don't recommend him, but he, he has some really good stuff that, that kind of help us understand the human heart. He says this, says, The masses of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats, a stereotyped but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. It's philosophical, but I think it's extremely true. All of us have this lo-fi energy inside of us that says, man, this is not enough. I got to have more. I ain't satisfied. This desperation. And we go on vacation. We, we live our lives with this Underneath this, this unconscious despair of concealing it with amusement and distractions and shiny things in order to hide the satisfaction we don't have or the contentment that we don't have. And the question that I want to really talk about this morning is, what is that itch that we can't scratch? And is there something our souls are desperately looking for? Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into our text. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your, um, uh, for your church, God, that we can come and stay accountable to one another, that we can worship together. I just ask that you help us find uh, joy in you. Lord, help this word be clear today. Help this old parable be new to us and fresh, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to do my best here uh, with, this, with this parable. There's a lot of verses, um, but, and there's a lot of details, and uh, I want you guys just to, it's story time, so if you guys uh, like story time with your kids, it's story time, all right? You guys just sit, sit back and listen to this story, take it in, and we'll, we'll try to dive in and, and, um, um, and, and talk through it, all right? So John 4, starting verse verse 3, it says this. So Jesus, so he, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given 
to his son Joseph. Jacob's, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, or Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into this town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is you, it, 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 who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, for, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will, will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, don't, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you, you now have is not your husband. What you, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our, ancest our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus answered, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and they, and they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to, him, to, to find him talking to a woman, but no one asked, what, are you, uh, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, made their way towards him. It's an oldie, but a goodie. A lot of people, if you guys have been in the church before, probably read it before, heard it before. Um, it's a... Uh, uh, it's very very simple, and I, I'm not going to try to add anything to it, take anything away from it, but uh, looking at the overall view of this passage, it's, it takes up the entire chapter of John chapter 4, and, um, if, and it also takes up another, a couple other passages in, in, the, um, uh, in, in Mark and in, in Matthew, and, and if it's taken up that much space, then I think it, it really kind of uncovers a basic Christian fundamental truth that we need to look at and we need to take note of. If John thought it was this valuable that it takes so much space in his book of 21 chapters, then I think we need to look at it and try to mine the truth that's in it. And so 
it's really kind of the basic cornerstone of Christianity. And so really unpacking some of the major observations here, what do we see? We see Jesus is traveling. He's traveling from Judea, which is in the south, and he's going to the north in Galilee. Judea, capital city, is Jerusalem. And um, in Galilee, Damascus is the is the um, is a city, and so he, it's about sixty miles north. And we see that uh, Jesus gets tired um, on his journey, and he stops at the local convenience store at at Sychar. Right? He's, he kind of kind of pops in there to get some water. And the thing is, the thing is, is Samaritans didn't have much dealing with Jews, and the the lady uh, really kind of says that later on, but. Uh, but we see that Jesus is tired and really kind of shows his humanity. And it, it says it's high noon. You know anything about high noon in the Middle East? It's cooking hot out there. And he stops and he's going to get some water. And nobody is around except this lady. And she's at the well. And we realize later this is kind of a lady of promiscuous dealings kind of like my great-great-grandmothers who were ladies of the night, this lady was similar. She had, she had had kind of some skeletons in her closet. And that's probably the reason she's at the well at high noon, the cooking hottest part of the day. She, she didn't want anybody to see her. She had quite the reputation, and, and so she, she wanted to be there all alone by herself. But she's at the well. And Jesus asks for a drink of water. And the lady is confused. She says, why do you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? In the day, most, uh, most people who lived in Judea was, were Jews, Jerusalem. And most people who lived in Samaria were Samaritans or Gentiles. They're outside this lineage or this race of the chosen people of God. And so that's why they didn't have dealings with one another. And Jesus says to her, turning to her, she, he says that if you knew who I was, you would ask for living water. The lady confused said, where do I get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob, our father? This shows an even greater cluelessness on the lady's part. She don't have a clue who this guy is, who Jesus is. And she, so she, she asked him, and then Jesus kind of turns the conversation literally on its head. There, she thinks they're talking about apples, and he turns and says, we're talking about lasagna. Okay, so he, he, he turns it from something completely physical, and he turns it into a spiritual conversation. And that's where we start our talk in, 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 with the thesis statement of verse 13 and 14. It says this. It says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's no water I've ever drank or experienced. Jesus has literally swapped the conversation and turned it around. And the first, really the first point I want to make about this is, number one, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. 
like I said, Jesus is being really nuanced in his uh, speaking here, and he really kind of decodes this later. He's talking about this water being completely spiritual and, and not actually the physical element of water, but he's talking about your soul's desires. He's talking about in your heart what satisfies you. What is the thing that your soul is thirsting for? What is the, the, the desert of your life? What, what are the streams that, uh, that, that quench that thirst? So the, the, the result of seeking to satisfy our soul, and this is a, a really an observation we see about this thirst, is the result of us seeking to satisfy our soul's thirst in this type of water is that we will be thirsty again. That's one interesting observation. Dan Bilzerian, I don't know if you guys ever heard this guy, he's, he's, he's a crazy, crazy character, but he claims to be the king of Instagram, and he's kind of the Hugh Hefner of today, he's, the, he's a multi-millionaire, he apparently got his money by, uh, by winning money in poker, and he's claimed to have slept over with 4,000 women, now that, that's gross just saying it, but He's a, he's a playboy, and, and really, he lives an extremely exuberant lifestyle. And, and if you look at his Instagram, he's really a billboard for masculine, uh, worldly satisfaction. And he said this recently in, in a Larry King Live interview. He said, the inter- interesting thing about my life, the pleasure I'm seeking and buying of pleasure that I do, doesn't seem to end the bar of satisfaction is too high. When I, got, when I got out of the military, I would go to an outback steakhouse, and that steak was an absolute 10. Couldn't do better. Now I can go to the, five, to the best five-star restaurant in the world, and I can't hit that 10 anymore. I think Bulzarian is hitting on something that also Tom Brady hits on in, in a, a number of interviews, but one that is indicative of even the, the, the passage of Scripture we're reading today. In, in a 2011 interview, many of you guys may have seen, you may, may have saw this, but a 2011 interview, really Brady was on the top of his, top of the world. He, he had three Super Bowl wing, rings. He just saw, signed a $32 million a year contract with the, with the New England Patriots, and he had just married his, super, his Brazilian supermodel wife. He had everything. And the interviewer asked, uh, or uh, he's talking to the interviewer, and he says this. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and think there is something greater out there for me? A lot of people would say, this is it. This is what it is. I've reached my goal. My dreams are accomplished. And I think, there's got to be more than this. The interviewer says, what's the answer, Tom? And he says, I, know, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. The question that Bulzerian is hitting on and Brady is hitting on and even this lady begins to ask is what is ultimate satisfaction? What is ultimate contentment? And how do I get there? How do I get it? Jesus is also talking about this. It's this question of, of is it found in the world? She's been married five times, and the, one, the man that he, she's with now is not her husband. It, she's been going to these, these pleasure outlets looking for 
her satisfaction can't find it either. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says this, and I think this is kind of even getting into more of our hearts, ability to create its own idols, but it says this. It says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. The word cistern here is just a, uh, another word for fountain or well. And um, once again, it's talking about something completely physical that it, it kind of unpacking a spiritual reality. We see something very implicit about the human heart, whether it be in the Old Testament, New Testament, or, 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 the, or today with, uh, with, these, with Brady and Bolzerian, we see that the human heart has a tendency to create objects of desire for itself that when obtained satisfy for a little while but always leave us wanting more. The key observation that needs to be noted is that the idols we create for ourselves will satisfy us for a little while, but they'll soon run their course and leave us thirsty. Object of desires can be money. That's a big deal. Making that six-figure income or, or paying off the, 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 the mortgage or uh, maybe seven-figure income for, for somebody. It's that always desire and addiction to more. We got to have more. We got to have more. We got to have more. Maybe fame. Instagram's one of them. F Facebook's another. I read a, a crazy stat last night before I even got in here. 71% of Instagram users are women. That's, that's interesting. That so is so high that and they, they kind of you know, attribute that to uh, uh, the, the need to, to be validated. Uh, maybe be fame or, 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 um, or status. I know uh, a lot of people look for titles to satisfy them in some type of way. If I can get to the corporate, climb this corporate ladder and finally get there, if I, I'll be validated in who I am and I'll be satisfied and I can find contentment. I know I've talked to uh, several doctors and, and even my older brother. Uh, the, the, the satisfaction of finally getting that MD on the back of your name or, or the, the doctor in front of it if you're a professor, you finally get that doc, And it's like this satisfying feeling and then all of a sudden two weeks later it's like, well, that was fleeting. Uh, I guess I got to work now. I guess I got some responsibility that I've got to do. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's the 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 uh, you're wanting power and wanting uh, uh, power to, to to for you to find contentment in. Maybe it's a claim. Maybe it's comfort or pleasure or the, the seeking of pleasure or, or, or going on you know crazy vacations all the times a year. Maybe it's health. It's a big one for our church. We worship health here. Um, I think uh, I think you see that see that we worship health. As soon as as soon as you break your leg or you're not able to stay in shape, all of a sudden your identity kind of withers away. You're like, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm gonna be a fat bum over here. What? Hold on a second. I'm worshiping health. Health. Good, good to go after stewarding your, your finances, stewarding your body, and stewarding your time and your talents and treasures and your, prof, your pe profession is a good thing. But when we become, when it becomes the object of our desire, it becomes the object of our satisfaction, it will leave us 
thirsty. And Jesus says that here. And that forces us to look at the back half of this thesis statement. And really C.S. Lewis has a quote that I, uh, I think needs to be noted. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. It's powerful. We're created for a deeper satisfaction. We're created for a deeper contentment. The back half of that thesis statement uh, there in verse 14 says this, Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Some observations. Jesus gives us this water. And Jesus quenches our thirsts with this water. Once again, it's symbolic to the Christian life. And another note that we see here is that this water has a magical effect on our hearts that it will continuously satisfy us. It, 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 we see that in the way that he, he talks about a well and a spring. Even in Jeremiah, the well and the spring. If you know anything, if you grew up on a farm like I did, I did, the difference between a well is that you have to hew out the ground, dig down deep, and get, get well water, and it's usually pretty nasty. A spring is natural. It's coming out of the earth, and it's continuously running. And it, it's, it's almost naturally purified by the earth. And Kroger is even... It has even seen this. They do it in their marketing. You never see. You never go in Kroger and see all natural well water. Come get it. No, it's all natural spring water for a reason. And what Jesus is playing on here is he's saying that this water that you put in your bodies, this this that satisfies you, the 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 thing that you're trying to your your heart satisfy. Your heart that's satisfying on is if it's not the right water, it's not going to sustain you. Psalms 42, verse 1 and 2, um, and I love the Psalms when it's talking about satisfaction. You, you see it, and I think struggle and hardship and difficulty bring out this desire for God. And you you may be in here wondering, hey, where is my desire for the Lord? Do I even have any? Uh, it, it, this, this old relationship, I, I don't know if I really want to rekindle it. I would encourage you to go to the Psalms because the Psalms, man, have so much, so many, there's so many good Psalms that kind of show David's desires as well as the Psalms' desires. This is, this is what Psalms 42 says. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? It's this meeting with him, seems to be, this spending time in his word, praying and meeting and that's what seems to stroke this contentment that we're looking for. 
satisfy this itch that we have inside of us. It seems like we're, we're created for this, for this relationship and this joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy and your presence. With eternal pleasures are at your right hand. At your right hand, there's joy. At, the right, at your right hand, there's pleasures. There's this incredible benefit, and we see this in the Psalms here. It was this incredible benefit of following Jesus and spending time with God that he gives you joy that makes you do some crazy things. Makes you, makes you find your joy in, in hardly nothing. It's, it's unbelievable. See, your heart is a worship factory. But when the object of your worship is correct, when it becomes, an ex- it becomes extremely healthy. When the object of your worship is wrong, we get bogged down and we become spiritually sick. It's almost like we were created for this relationship. When Kimberly and I first got married, we... We first got married. We we were broke as a joke. We didn't have any, any money, and uh, I had like this one summer. I had like four jobs, and I was a uh, I was like a a barista at one job, and and uh, uh, barista at one job. I sold jewelry <laughs> for some job. For, it was, that was a weird one. Um, and then I was I was uh, uh, cutting grass for a for a realtor um, on another one, but. There was this one day I showed up. This this realtor, this realtor had about thirty yards that he wanted. He we we cut the grass every week, and he had bought two brand new Shindawa weed eaters. These weed eaters, if you guys ever seen them, they're they're like commercial weed eaters, and they they pick up a rock that big and I mean sling them. They're extremely powerful. He had paid an unbelievable amount of money for them. He bought two of those things and. First day, I went and grabbed the gas can, put a, put gas in it, and started running, um, uh, started running it, and it only lasted about thirty minutes. And I, I was like, "Man, what happened? We just spent a ton of money on this Shindawa weed eater, and it's not, it doesn't work like I thought it was going to. It's already dead." Well, come to find out, I put the wrong gas in it I, instead of fifty-fifty blend of oil and gas, I put full gasoline, and it bogged down, and it stopped working. Yeah, made a mistake there. I don't know if I paid for the, I can't remember if I paid for the weed eater, but I believe that our souls are very similar. Our souls have this need for the right gasoline. Our souls need to have this Need to have Jesus running through them in order for it to in order for us to work and live properly and correctly. Or we'll get bogged down, we'll get wore out, we'll get exhausted, we'll get burnout, burnt burnt out, and we'll almost wonder what is life all about. Had a great lunch yesterday with a good friend, and we were talking about this and this this idea of Christ is not the center then pursuing extreme goals and goals that are just way out there, it almost is not even worth going after. Because when you get it, it's almost like, this is it? It's kind of like what Tom Brady was saying. 
my wife turned me on to a passage this past week, and I've been chewing on it all week. Kimmy uh, tends to do this. She, drop, she drops uh, Bible bombs at her, at her home uh, often. But th- this passage of Scripture I've been, I've been reading, I've been thinking about, I've been chewing on. And it's Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. It says this, and I think it's indicative of this idea of having the right gasoline in your heart, having the right Jesus in your heart in order for it to run properly. It says this, it says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Man, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Like it's the, this idea that, hey, once again, Isaiah here is comparing God and Jesus to this idea of food and this satisfaction, our heart's desire for something. He's saying, man, come and eat that your soul may live so that you can actually find life, satisfaction, and contentment. The outcrop of this correct gasoline or this correct uh, uh, this correct object of desire for our heart is really twofold. Is number one, our lifestyle begins to change. And people see it. We start bearing fruit on our vines. We start living differently. And people start looking at us and say, hey, you know what? This, I mean, you're healthy and you, you, uh, I enjoy being around you. And you, you don't suck the energy out of my life. You actually give me life, and I want to be like that phone charger where you just set your phone on it, and it charges you. It's kind of the same way of the Christian that's running off this right gasoline. It's, it's oh, man, I want, to, I want to be around this charger because it's life-giving. Not only that is you begin your talent, your time, and your, your time, talent, and treasure begins to reorient, reorientate itself to look like Jesus. If you want to find out what your idol is in your life, just take an inventory of how you spend your time, how you spend your money, and how, to, how you spend your talent, your greatest talents. If you, if you take an inventory, you just sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to take all uh, 24 hours of the day, uh, what is it, 500 and something hours in a week, no, that's not right, 100 and something hours in a week, and, and take inventory and how many, you know, how much time do I spend on proclaiming Christ or spending time with the Lord and then take your money, do the same thing, then your talents, same thing, you can really kind of pull it down and say, hey, you know what? I really worship work. I really worship my kids, whatever it is. Be able to see your idol. But when Christ is this all-satisfying figure in your life, those things begin to reorient itself, reorientate itself to Christ, you begin giving your money away. You begin uh, putting emphasis on others and helping others. You begin really leveraging your own gifts and talents towards the church. You begin to sacrifice. You begin to give your greatest assets. Not only that, not only our lifestyle change, but we become natural evangelists. We see this lady here, she, she started just yelling, come see, you know, come see the man that told me everything that I did. 
And later on in the passage, it says that many people came to Christ because of her testimony. See, we, we talk about what we love. We talk about what we value. We talk about what we worship. And when, when our heart changes, when our lives change, then we begin, to, we begin to talk about what we love. We begin to proclaim it naturally. It comes out of us. It's like a reflex. Somebody kicking you in the knee, and it, all, all of a sudden your knee kicks, right? Same, same way with being an evangelist. When, when God changes your heart, you naturally want to tell others about it. And we, we realize this when we see that our greatest sins have been forgiven. See, we all have five husbands. Them husbands may be just in the form of working too much, maybe in the form of uh, drinking too much, maybe, maybe in the form of uh, power, maybe in the form of, of acclaim, maybe in the form of Instagram likes. Maybe in the, we, we've all had these, and we, and we always seem to return back to the well and try to fill ourselves up. But the joy of the gospel is that Jesus has paid for those five husbands. Jesus has paid for those things that we keep running back to to satisfy our thirst. Christ has died for those things on the cross. And see, we are created for a relationship with him. And that's why he's bought us back, is to have a relationship with him.